Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. everyone and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining Andrew and myself today is Max Newland, who is the president of FocusCom, a brain sensing wearable and app that trains your brain for better focus and a calmer mind. He has spent the last decade studying cognitive and neuroscience, human development and mind-body approaches to wellness and performance. Before FocusCom, he earned his master's degree from Harvard University and conducted fMRI research at some of the best hospitals in the world on the impact of meditation and yoga on the brain as well as the impact of implantable neurotech on people with Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders. Now, as the president of FocusCom, he leads the visionary team that is bringing mental fitness and performance to everyone from F1 race car drivers and Olympic athletes to anyone who wants to live a calmer and more focused life. Max, thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show and uh, welcome. Thank you, guys. Uh, the way you read that, it just came across like butter. I love the way that you gave that intro. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. It's like you know what you know what it is. I have uh, um, I have two young kids, uh, and I know we were corresponding. I know you've got a little one too. And reading stories to them makes you a much better, m- much better. Well, reader out louder, for a lack of a of a better way to say that. So you know, you get you get a lot of practice of reading stuff and saying it at the same time. Exactly. (laughs) So, Max, as I said, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Is there anything that I missed in that introduction and in your bio, anything you want to flesh out from there? No, I think that was really good. You know, at FocusCom, we're um, putting our effort into unlocking human potential and showing people what they're truly capable of by giving them a lens into what's going on in between their ears. And uh, the way that you described it, I think was great. And it's an area that's quite interesting because there's been so much effort and science really around improving physiological response uh, for athletes. So the training, the different training stimulus, how people uh, improve over time. But I think there's been so little concrete research that's really shown how people mentally improve. And I think the top athletes have understood it, but it's just been a little bit nebulous and really the the problem is there's no tools it's it's tough to drill into the brain and see what's actually going on um and yeah it's just it's not accessible for people so i think a tool like this really for lack of a better term opens up your brain uh just so that you can see and understand what you're truly feeling yeah imagine trying to fix a car without being able to see what's going on underneath the hood mm mm-hmm. And now with Focus Calm, we have some measures about what's actually going on. So you don't only need to rely on your internal observation. We can actually put numbers to what's happening now. Okay. Well, we've been kind of dancing around it. Well, uh, can you describe the the product itself? Like, what is the uh, the headband uh, and the, the the hardware, and what does it do? Sure. So I'm holding one in my hands right now, but I'll describe it for the listeners. It's a headband that has these sensors on it that rest on your forehead that passively detect the activity of your brain. So your brain has a hundred billion neurons and one way they communicate is through electrical signals. When those neurons fire in unison, there's a distinct signal that's detectable on your forehead and really anywhere on your scalp. 
The signal hmm. makes its way from your brain through your skull all the way to your to your forehead and, and your scalp. And these sensors are picking up that electrical signal. And based on different features in the signal, we can tell what type of cognitive state someone might be in. And a really simple analogy or, I guess, um, image to think of is if you're really calm and relaxed, you can imagine that your neurons are firing at a slower rate. Whereas if you're really hyped up or anxious or stressed, you can imagine that they're firing much more quickly hmm. and in a variety of ways. It's more complex than that, but I think that gives people a sense of what's going on in your brain and how we're picking up different signals to quantify what state people are in. And then the to make it usable, we quantify that on a scale from zero to 100, where zero means you're really, really active, your mind looks very busy, and 100 means you look very calm, very zen, very relaxed. So the the way I am kind of interpreting this is um, not so much you're, you're putting the, the electrodes on your scalp to say this part of my brain is firing, but it's more like the 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 crowd noise, I guess. Um, so if you've got a, a big crowd that's, you know, a crowd at a bar, for example, when people used to be able to go to bars, when <laughs> everyone's talking and it's just noise and you can't make anything out versus everyone's chanting in unison versus everyone's quiet in a room together. Um, is it more that that you're looking for as opposed to like this part of the brain firing? That's right. It'd be like holding a, a microphone outside of the bar and you're picking up on the major events that are happening. Um, like you were saying, if everyone was really quiet or everyone got really excited and just like how a microphone picks up signals from the environment, microphones don't shoot anything out into the world. Mm -hmm. The headband isn't, isn't stimulating, uh, isn't putting anything into your brain. It's kind of like a heart rate monitor, but for your mind. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting distinction because I've used the uh, the the Halo um, device, which I'm sure you've used it, and it's the, the it uses the trans. Let me see if I remember this right. The transcranial something stimulation. It passes a little. Stimulation, yeah. There it is. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, so this is totally passive. That which is not an active device. That's trying to elicit some kind of stimulus, whereas yours is just trying to measure what's naturally going on. That's right. And then give you the right information so that you can make the change. And we provide people with different programs and lessons so that they have that toolbox, those skills to make those changes to be more focused and calm. But without the measure, it's a little difficult to understand exactly what's happening. Okay. So let's talk about the, the quantification first. Uh, so you're you're measuring these waves. So first of all, which uh, which of the, the brain waves are it does the headband measure? So here's a, a quick primer for, for everyone listening. Please. Oftentimes... Uh, brain waves are simplified into what are called frequency bands. And these frequency bands have names like delta, theta, alpha, beta, and gamma. And each of these represents a big swath of your brain activity. So for example, alpha band is often referred to as anything between 8 and 12 hertz. Um, and those frequency bands tend to have some distinctions in mm -hmm. terms of when they're active based on what you're doing. For example, we might see more delta and theta activity while someone is sleeping. We might see more beta activity if someone's highly engaged in something. The algorithms that have been used in research and in application often rely on these frequency bands. And those algorithms, for an example, might be how much beta activity divided by how much alpha activity do we see. Hmm. And this ratio gives us some sort of indication for how active someone's mind is. 
in this example, that algorithm is using two features, power of beta and power of alpha. Uh, one of our innovations that makes the product easier to use, quicker to use, and more effective is instead of using algorithms that might use some combination of these five features, the focus calm algorithm is looking at over 1,000 features per second. Hmm. And what we're using is a machine learning approach to quantify what's actually happening in the brain when people are really, really engaged, maybe stressed, or when they're really, really relaxed. So we collected hundreds of data samples of people doing different activities, uh, typically using some sort of validated approach to get people into these states, and then looking at what is the full brainwave activity actually tell us about this state? What does it really, really look like? Let's not impose our assumptions about what frequency band should be doing what. Let the data tell us. And then the model that we build takes into account over a thousand features. So every second, we're looking at your true brainwave activity and then using that information to, again, quantify it from zero to 100. Okay, so you you mentioned that uh, zero could mean a highly aroused or highly focused state, and one hundred being a relaxed state. Um, I imagine there are different times in your day during your activities, whether it's reading a book, relaxing, or or doing a high intensity interval workout, that you may want to be in uh, in different, you know, in different. Va- you want you may want those values to be different. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So the. The app and the headband in combination are training you to improve your focus calm score, to increase it. Everything in the app is geared towards entering that relaxed zone. Mm, And different activities are sometimes really easy to get in that zone. So maybe when you're first starting out, you're listening to a guided meditation. Some of them are a bit more challenging where we give you a cognitive task that actually stresses your brain out. And the idea is, can you still access that state of relaxation even while being in a really active environment, which kind of replicates a lot of the experiences that people are in. And we we can talk about why we structured it that way, but to specifically answer your question, yes, there are going to be different times in your day where you're going to be in these different brain states. We'd expect there to be a lower focus calm score if you're frantically answering emails versus if you're sitting and relaxing. And one of the ways that focus calm can be used is to learn about yourself and learn, okay, when am I in these states? Training aside, meditations and the games that we have, putting them aside, just putting the headband on, using what we call the tracker to see your own brain activity. When you're doing these different experiments or different moments throughout your day, can give you information about what is my mind, what is my brain actually doing in these states? But it is true that we would expect different brain states for different activities. Hmm. That's really interesting. So then uh, I'm going to I'm going to ask the question of uh, why is it that you're trying to optimize for the most relaxed state? Like what is the value to, let's say, you know, either well-being or performance, pick one or both uh, of being uh, or maybe let's say having access to that really calm state uh, for an individual? Why is that the optimization here? This is the key to almost the entire thing. Being relaxed is good. Being relaxed, even when the pressure is on, is infinitely better. (laughs) If you can be super zen in your bedroom when you're meditating, that is good for your stress levels. It's good for your well-being. But if you can't apply it, particularly in sport, if a lot of your audience is thinking about 
applying this type of mindset when they're competing or when they're training, Mm -hmm. that relaxation training doesn't really transfer. What we want people to be able to learn to do, and this is what sets us apart from meditation apps and, and other approaches, is we've set up a process to take people from learning how to get into this relaxed zone, practicing staying in this relaxed zone, and then challenging them to stay in this relaxed zone even under pressure. And the genesis of all this was our work with Formula One race car drivers, where they were going through a similar process to learn how to apply this while they're going 200 miles an hour. They need to learn how to be as calm as possible so they can perform their best and also burn less cognitive resources. Hmm. And this concept is called mental efficiency. Are you applying the right level of effort to the task at hand, or are you burning more mental fuel than you need to? And so if we can teach people to apply the skill of relaxation to these active environments that we find ourselves in throughout our day or in sport, at work, et cetera, in life in general, then people can access this state of flow where they're not burning, they're not overly burning their cognitive resources and they're in the pocket, they're in the zone where they're, they're using the right level of effort. So I have a question that's maybe partially based in ignorance, but also partially being devil's advocate here. But um, why is relaxation good when you look at these hyper-focused people like F1 drivers or Mm -hmm. someone that needs to be on a knife edge and have ultra fast uh, reflexes? So why, Mm -hmm. why would you, for example, not want them to be aroused and ready to react? Why would you want them to be relaxed? Yeah. So the the focus calm zone is this sweet spot where you're not overly anxious and you're not um, going to burn your cognitive resources. So taking a normal person and putting them in a high stress situation is going to get their mind going, get them probably pretty tense and stressed. And if you go too far in that arousal curve, then your performance drops. Mm-hmm. It's like an, an inverted U, right? So if if the situation is not engaging enough, you're probably bored mm-hmm. and your performance isn't going to be that great. If you're too overly aroused, the situation is overwhelming, it's too challenging, your performance is also going to be poor. But if you're in this sweet spot where your skill or your abilities are matching the environment's challenge in the right capacity, that's going to bring out your best. That's what we would call psychological flow. So for a lot of these high-stress environments, like going 200 miles per hour, arousal isn't the problem. You don't want problem. to be bored there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be bored, but ar- arousal is not the problem. It's not like they're having any problem being not being engaged enough. What they need to learn how to modulate is bring themselves back down into that sweet spot um, it is true. I will I will flip it now to, to make your point. There are situations that I've seen when I'm experimenting with Focus Calm where if the environment is too understimulating, I actually need to upregulate myself to get my Focus Calm score into that into that zone. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to start day, I'm daydreaming or, you know, my mind starts going all, all these different places. So it's a match. It's getting your brain to match the environment so that you can perform your best. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because it's not necessarily maximum relaxation. It's optimal relaxation, I guess. That's right. Yeah. So if if you were in like a semi-engaging environment and you really put the pedal down on your relaxation, that's not going to be optimal. Um, And in fact, sometimes what I find is if you do that, your focus comp score doesn't go up because you're getting yourself into this like 
weird mushy zone where you're kind of too <laughs> too letting go of the world and in fact you need to kind of balance this focus and calm hence the name of the product to get into that the uh, right zone okay. so it's kind of like zoning out during a an online meeting or something that i'm sure most people are very familiar <laughs> with these days yeah if yeah. you do that your focus calm score is probably going to be all over the place uh, you're speaking my language when you were talking about uh burning those mental resources i think that's something that is uh exceptionally important and the listeners of this show are primarily you know endurance athletes and many of whom do very long endurance activities and that's a challenge um and i can think uh the only real race, for example, I did in 2021 was a was it a trail ultra, which took me, you know, a little bit under nine hours to complete. And it was technical terrain, much, much more technical. And again, to your point, much more technical than I was ready for. So there was definitely outstripping my my almost my cognitive ability to focus on the terrain. And this was something that I found that maybe four or five hours in when I was, you know, both physically and mentally quite tired, there were times when um, I was physically able to run through the terrain. Like, I, you know, nothing really hurt and I was, my energy levels were, were sufficiently high, but I was mentally completely burnt out. I just could not coordinate my limbs in a way that was safe for me to, to navigate the terrain and not, not eat it. And I kept on, and I like, I fell a few times, um, in, in doing this. And then eventually I would just walk those, those, uh, technical trail sections. And, uh, and I attributed it to just not having any of those mental resources left to me on the day. So I, I imagine that if I'd, uh, you know, been able to practice something or been able to practice uh, uh, conserving those resources in the early stages of the race, uh, that would have really paid some very direct dividends uh, in improved performance in the later stages. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a combination, right, of the physical preparation and mental preparation. For sure. Um, and those together, I think, is what people are after. Yeah. And this is something that, as Andrew said in the very beginning, that's something that's missing. Like we don't have, we, we only have very kind of soft ways of tracking it, of monitoring it, of training it. I know there's some re researchers looking into this and uh, um, listeners, you, you'll remember we had Marco Altini talking about some of the stuff. When he was uh, when he was here talking about HRV and uh, and his uh, neurofeedback app, um, but it's it's very much uh, an emerging sort of science and uh, and something where I think we can really make, I would say, wholly unmarginal gains, like realistic uh, large gains in performance. Unmarginal gains. That's unmarginal gains. <laughs> <laughs> that could be that could be a good name for another podcast, guys. Uh, <laughs> the whole really really meaningful gains in uh, in performance using technologies or techniques like this. Yeah, I think for for the first time you get to understand a little bit more about what's going on in your brain, and if nothing else, seeing that score and seeing how what you do internally affects that score or what's going on in your environment, how that affects your mind, uh, gives you these realizations that otherwise you may never have had. Mm -hmm. um, not to even talk about the types of training that we provide that give you skills, practices, breathing techniques, et cetera. Uh, to help modulate your brain activity and, and modulate your stress and focus. Yeah, well, that's the neurofeedback part, right? Like that's the that's that's what that's all about. That's being able to see what happens in your brain when you do this, when you think this way, or when you play this game, or or meditate a certain way, which is which is essential in learning any kind of skill. Like if you imagine yourself in the pool, and you know your your you your coach tells you to try to change your stroke in a certain way, and all of a sudden things you know, feel easier, feel worse, and you go faster, you go slower, you have that feedback with your, you know, I, I'm kind of beating this to death, but with your with your brain that this hasn't been very possible to do outside of a lab uh, until very, very recently. 
So my first true exposure to this whole concept of biofeedback, like I'd, I'd understood it from, you know, generally from like a research standpoint, but my first true experience with it was actually doing a lab test with, uh, with actually Sean Peterson, who's a good friend of mine, a former guest on the show, but uh, they were doing this study where they had, it was for, I don't know what I'm allowed to say about it. I can't remember the NDA, so I'm just going <laughs> to shut my mouth. But uh, um, anyway, there, there was an opportunity to see your blood pressure and heart rate as you were doing the study. And they, first of all, they tried to keep it hidden. Like when they were instrument, instrumenting me, I was looking at it. But once the study started, they tried to uh, tried to keep it hidden. But there was one point where they just kept asking me, like, you know, are you feeling lightheaded? Are you okay? Is there a problem? Um, and I'm like, no, go away. I'm fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, there's no problem. But after the after the test, uh, I found out that the previous day someone had been able to observe, accidentally observe their blood pressure and heart rate. And they got caught in this biofeedback loop where they were saying, okay, this is my heart rate. Is that good? Is it bad? Is it too high? Is it too low? And then they would start to worry about it and it would drop. And then their blood pressure would start to drop. And they, you know, they kept doing this to themselves and just passed out. So they were standing. Wow. Um, and then, <laughs> and then they weren't, uh, which <laughs> caught everyone off guard. So, um, so, I mean, I was a little annoyed when they kept asking this, but I had no idea that someone had toppled over the previous day just because they had been able to, uh, to observe their, their clinical data. And I think there's a name for this phenomenon. I can't remember it offhand, but, uh, for me, it was super interesting exposure. And even though it didn't happen to me directly, knowing that someone can just see numbers and their brain gets caught up in this cycle, like it's, it's incredible the power of what your mind can do. Yeah, I would, I would guess that um, that's an outlier type of experience, though um, there's an interesting point here, which is you only want the right amount of data. Mm-hmm. You can you can get too much data, and then maybe you're just enjoying data for data's sake. <laughs> I think what's important is that it, if that's your goal, then heck yeah. Uh, but I think it's important for people to be focused on what they're what they want. And um, one of the angles that we how we approach this whole area is to think about how much training is necessary for the outcomes people are interested in. So, for mm-hmm. example. The use case is not to wear this all day, like a normal uh, fitness tracker, like a Fitbit or something like that. The use case is to use this as a training tool about 15 minutes per day Mm -hmm. and to do a meditation, do a breathing exercise, play some of the neurofeedback games, work on some of your focus abilities like your decision making or pattern recognition or reaction time. And that is your training uh, routine is to do that 15 minutes per day. So all of our research studies are based on people using it for that amount and then taking the headband off. It's like a workout. It's basically like a workout for your brain. Now, mm-hmm. I will I will um, add a note to that, which is if people do want to wear it for longer periods of time, they can wear it all day and they can do experiments and they can see what's going on. But to get the the measured benefit from our, our white papers and our studies, it's 15 minutes of use per day. So what do those benefits look like? Uh, if I'm uh, if I'm committed, I do this 15 minutes a day. What is the and I'm the you know Joe average? What can I expect to see? After 20 sessions, on average, what we see is a 21 percent increase in well-being, according to the World Health Organization Well-Being Index, 
an 18% reduction in burnout. We use something called the Copenhagen Burnout Inventory hmm. and a 13% reduction in anxiety. We use the State Trait Anxiety Inventory, and that's after 20 sessions. Um, and what we also see is the more use correlates with more improvement in these metrics. Hmm. Those are you know, non-trivial numbers. That's, that's pretty impressive. And especially for, you know, living in COVID times, I think everyone's dealing with a little bit of, a little bit of burnout. I could use, I could use 14, I, don't forget the number you mentioned. I could use 14% less burnout in my life right now. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And these, these, these populations are with, um, companies that we're doing corporate wellness programs with. Okay. We've also done some studies with some pro athletes um, and we're still preparing the data, but what it, what it looks like is similar types of results. Uh, in addition to this, this other result, which um, is really interesting, which is people are able to complete the cognitive challenges with less cognitive resources, the more they train them, mm -hmm. which I guess makes sense, right? The, the more that you're practicing these different skills, the better you are able at completing them with less mental effort. And we're, we're always adding new studies. So I don't want to pretend like this was a 10,000 person study. Uh, this, the end was like about 50 for these studies. Okay. So it's a, it's a good size. Um, but we're always adding more uh, research studies to our portfolio to to prove this model out. But I think the the nice thing is there are already millions of people meditating, and there are um, thousands of research studies pointing towards the benefit of meditation. So what if you could quantify the amount of time that you're spending in one of these cognitive states rather than sitting down to meditate and not being totally sure the quality of your meditation to quantify it? to gamify it. I think it's another another huge benefit for people who are already interested in this space, but want to get that quantification, want to be able to apply it with the different, you know, neurofeedback games. Like for example, we have games where you control a rocket ship with your brain. The more you relax, the higher the rocket ship will go. So you can <laughs> practice these skills totally eyes open. In fact, the, the entire experience in Focus Calm can be done eyes open. You don't need to. And in fact, there might be some benefit to doing everything eyes open because then it translates more to how you're going to spend the rest of your day. You know, again, practicing being calm and relaxed, uh, even in normal environments where you're going to be having your eyes open, where you're going to be interacting with the, the rest of the world, et cetera. Yeah, you made this point earlier, and I think it's a really important one to uh, to kind of to reemphasize that meditation is great, but you need to be able to apply it to you know your your day. 24 hours of that day. Uh, I know I used to, I don't practice very much anymore, but I used to practice quite a bit and I uh, meditation practice and I really enjoyed it. And I found a benefit that in the moment and maybe for some time after my session, I felt considerably better, but I didn't really feel like it, it, it translated to, you know, maybe more stressful periods of my day that there was no, it was missing that kind of that, uh, uh, skill acquisition component, which, you know, I'm excited, uh, about with, uh, with, you know, feedback devices like yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then kind of for, from the, and again, I haven't, I haven't used your device and I, I'm totally extrapolating here, but for, uh, one, one kind of ready use case I could see for, for an athlete is if you can, uh, improve your, you know, that emotional regulation component, um, it helps mm -hmm. with, uh, with exercise performance because, uh, especially with difficult training sessions, um, you know, usually we quit not because of some, 
physiological threshold that's been hit, but it's usually a psychological threshold. Like you've just had, you know, mm-hmm. there's, um, you know, well, well, research, well, uh, regarded research from, uh, Samuel Marcora, who posits that, you know, people quit when their desire to continue is no longer higher than their di- perceived discomfort, right? So when you want to stop more than you want to continue, you stop. And that's, that's ultimately that, you know, it's a very trivial way of saying it, but that's, that's what ends up happening. And so if you can, if you can uh, learn to modulate your, you know, you learn to modulate that, that kind of that mental response, you, it's, you can probably go much deeper into a workout than, than you would otherwise. Well, it's an interesting point there too. Um, and I've kind of empirically not discovered this, but uh, use this on my own where I'm struggling in a workout and I think, you know, if like, how badly do I want to quit? If someone were to offer me a, say a million dollars to continue this workout, could I do it? And the answer is like 99% of the time, yes, except maybe <laughs> when I'm doing like an anaerobic sprint and I just cannot move the the, the pedals anymore. Um, but yeah, like the, the vast majority of the time, it's just lack of motivation. And I think if you can somehow uh, increase that motivation through some kind of cognitive training, uh, that can just open up a whole new world for performance and for training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, we actually have a, a program in the app called Drive and Motivation, and we have a sports psychologist from Boston University who's um, teaching our users about how to find those sources of drive and motivation. And you're also getting this real-time feedback from your brain while you're listening to to this, and then you get to practice going into those kind of focused and calm states and using the visualization tools that, that she's providing. So um, I think one of the one of the observations that is important to realize is these are all skills. They are uh, technical skills that you need to learn to acquire. And then it also requires reps and sets. It's practice Hmm. as well that allows you to get better at it. And as you practice, you can, from a quantified perspective, see your focus calm score go up over time. And we have these submetrics. So we have XP experience points that you earn <laughs> by doing these different exercises. And we break it down into speed. So how quickly are you able to enter the focus calm zone? Consistency. How consistent can you stay in the focus calm zone for the duration of the exercise that you're doing? If it's a five minute t- meditation or a two minute game. Um, and then also depth. How deep are you able to get into the focus calm zone in a given exercise? And so with these metrics, and the analytics that we have on the profile page, you can see how practice makes you better at these at these skills. So I think one of the one of the realizations that uh, people need to have is these are acquirable skills, and through practice and learning, like anything, like even learning a new sport or learning a language, you can get better at these abilities. These are all just cognitive abilities. Mm-hmm. And so is that something that the app offers the, you know, kind of the, the, does it teach you if to use your, uh, use your metaphor in how to enter this focus calm zone? Yeah. Yeah. Actually the, the first step. So this, this process that we have is called learn practice challenge. Okay. So the first, the first step of every program is you're learning some new skill. It's either a new type of meditation, a new sports psychology content or approach, a new, a new breathing technique, and then you practice it with one of the neurofeedback games, like making a campfire grow the more you enter the focus calm zone. And then the third step is challenge that will target some sort of executive function. Again, your memory, processing speed, decision making, et cetera. Hmm. And in order to get a high score, you have to complete the task well 
and get a relaxed uh, focus calm score, which mm. is really hard to do. Um, but yeah, it's this learn practice challenge. And then if people want, there's there's a la carte options if you really want to spend more time with a particular teacher uh, like Dana Santis. Dana Santis works with uh, dozens of professional athletes and or professional sports teams, um, even more athletes on different breathing activities to, to modulate their well-being and their performance. So if you really like breathing exercises, you can spend time with her content. Or if you like uh, more meditations, we have different types of meditation teachers. And one of the cool things is you get to see what is your access point to this brain state? Mm, what types mm -hmm. of things, what types of instructions or even instructors help you get there? And then can you, can you take those, those kind of pearls of wisdom with you and remember them throughout your day and say, all oh, right, when I'm in this type of environment, if I lean my mind in this direction towards focus or this direction towards calm, it's going to get me the, the result I want, which I think is a really interesting point because sometimes it's not the way we think it is. I remember one of the most important things I've learned from using focus calm is I had this assumption that if I was feeling anxious and stressed and overwhelmed, I should step on the relaxation pedal and really try to let go and like relax my body and try to like float away. But all that did was aggravate the kind of storm of mental activity that was already going on. Hmm. And when I was trying that technique with focus calm, I realized my score kept on going down. And so then I decided to try, well, what happens if I focus in this moment? And so while I'm feeling overwhelmed and kind of anxious and things are starting to kind of kick up in my mind, I decided to step on the focus pedal in my brain. And then my focus calm score went up, the kind of the chaos starts to come together to a pointed focus. And the same thing was true on the flip side. After I realized that, I was like, well, if I'm having trouble focusing and I really can't keep my mind on the point that I'm trying to keep it on, my intuition is to step on the focus pedal and try to force myself in to stay focused on the on the object where, in fact, that doesn't really work. And then using the headband, I can see the feedback and I realized if I'm in that mode leaning into relaxation and giving myself a break and trying to just de-stress for a moment will bring my attention and bring my focus into the place that I want it to be. So it's, it's learning techniques. It's experimenting and figuring things out for yourself. What works for you to get the outcome that you want. And for most people getting that data is what gives them those insights because they get to see things in a, in a new way. So I have a multifaceted question and it's, um, I guess it's posed this way for a reason, but uh, first off, you mentioned, uh, well, going back through our conversation, we've talked about the lack of dedicated research or lack of results or consensus about certain things. Uh, and even what you're indicating there was that, uh, you know, your algorithm is still learning quite a bit, or you're learning quite a bit using the, uh, the algorithm about what is optimal for a given time. So my my question is basically with this machine learning that you're doing, do you take feedback directly from your users in order to increase the sample size? Uh, and the flip side of that is, uh, I mean, data privacy, everyone's concerned, especially if something's hooked up to your brain, uh, they're going to, you know, most people will realize it's anonymized data. It's not going to be uh, traceable to you, but I'm sure some people will be concerned about that, but is there an sure. opportunity where you can effectively crowdsource the results and see what works, you know, outside of clinical uh, confines and for the, the larger population, can you even further improve your algorithms as a result? 
So for now, we don't do that. Uh, we don't do that at all. And there's a couple of reasons. And you you brought up both topics. One, on the machine learning side, what you want is really clean data. And what I mean by that is in a controlled setting where the person collecting the data is very clear about what that person is doing. So when we create our algorithms, we have um, people do all these very specific tasks. It's in a very regimented way. The scientist is there with the person doing them, making sure that everything is set up, that their raw signal is good, that they're on task, that they're actually doing what we expect them to do because it's garbage in, garbage out. Mm -hmm. But if we can have a really controlled environment where they're truly doing the tasks that we want them to do and we know the data quality is good, then we can trust that this is going to be informative data for the model. If we um, have people that are not in front of us doing different tasks, we can't guarantee that they're really focusing on the task. Like if we were going to use all the meditation data uh, to improve our meditation algorithm, but 50% of the people are cooking dinner while they're doing that. And you know, it's going to, it's going to mess up our model. And then the second, second topic that you brought up is for data privacy and security. We have our own internal team and we also work with an external data privacy team to make sure that we're, uh, up to date on all the regulations and also not only kind of factoring in the, the discussion we just had about data quality, we don't want that data. Like we don't need it. We don't want it. Um, so the only thing that we collect would be like the same data that uh, you might you might encounter like playing Candy Crush. Like how many games did you play? Which ones did you play? What level did you get to? But all of the we don't collect any of the raw EEG data uh, for those reasons. Okay, so I think people can be reassured that uh, you're not reading their thoughts and part of a larger <laughs> government conspiracy. <laughs> no. I'm sure most people didn't go to initially, but uh, yeah, when when anything's hooked up to your your brain, people get nervous, and it's just yeah. I think it's lack yeah. of understanding really is what it comes down to knowing what kind of data or what is in the data that could be yeah. potentially transmitted, and it's just people have begun to not trust uh, companies. Yeah. And I think it's justified in a lot of cases because we know that as consumers, we're quite often taken advantage of. Um, and our our trends and our metadata about what we do, uh, it's, it gets sold. It, I mean, we are sold again and again to different companies who are interested in all the demographics. So it's, yeah, lack of trust from people, but it's it's good that you're taking those steps to protect the privacy. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I used to say it was a competitive differentiator to be so clear on our data privacy terms and um, you know only collect uh, the data that we need to to improve the app and to not sell any of the data and to not collect all the any of the raw brainwave data. All that is true, but I think something that's happening is it's almost becoming table stakes for companies to to operate. Um, hmm definitely upfront, like we all have to, and to be really uh, clear about, you know, or I guess not only clear about what we're using data for, but to, to be good stewards um, of, of our customers' data. Um, you know, the, the benefit of this whole operation includes the customers. The customers and the users are part of our experience as a company, of course, and um, making sure that we're on the up and up on the data privacy side, I think is... Uh, is necessary. There's the other part of me though, that looks at it from more of an altruistic standpoint uh, and like purely a science standpoint saying, if you could tap into the data 
um, that is provided by a large population and you knew it was high quality data or you could filter out the low quality data, then there's certainly power in that. But I guess it's uh, at what cost? And I think your approach is the right one because people are not ready to, or maybe they were previously ready and have no longer uh, been accepting to that kind of mentality where it's just the uh, the forced volunteering of your information uh, <laughs> has become such a sensitive topic. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But uh, nonetheless, it, it would be neat if you could tap into that just for the bigger gains. But I think one day, you know, one day, like you're saying, when there's more acceptance for brain computer interface technology and people understand what it can and cannot do um, and understand, you know, the, the limitations around certain things and the data privacy and security practices that companies are undertaking, there probably will be opportunities for distributed research projects like this, kind of like how, you know, 23andMe, it's a consumer mm -hmm. product in a lot of ways, but they will ask you to opt in for research studies mm -hmm. um, or even, you know, other companies that will ask your permission to improve their product or do different types of research. There will be opportunities, but I think for the most part, um, what we're seeing is research happens in research settings and consumer products happen in consumer product settings. So uh, eventually, I think there may be some opportunities. Hmm. Well, I've taken us down a pretty deep rabbit hole here, <laughs> and I want to emerge from the data privacy conversation and get back focused on the <laughs> the actual technology. There's a good segue in there, Andrew, because uh, because um, Max said one day, and so that that my next question was going to be, what is what's next? What what is one day? What where where are you guys going next? What are you looking at? Uh, how are you going to improve the service? I'm interested in unlocking people's potential in the direction that they care about, that, that matters to them. And the better we get at quantifying different cognitive states and providing personalized training techniques at the right moment when people need them, the more effective we will be at helping people train their minds for the outcomes that matter to them. Okay. So right now we can do that, though in the future, um, what we see is the ability to really tap into this, this personalization side so that not only are you doing your own experiments to figure out what's working and what's not, mm -hmm. but that the app can make more specific recommendations based on what's going on in your life. If you're preparing for a competition or based on how you've been performing with certain meditation teachers or certain uh, meditation instructions or techniques to make uh, recommendations to you so that you know these are the tools that work best for you when you're in this given environment. Okay. And here's a here's a suggestion of something that you can try next to again enter that state. Or on the flip side, here are some things that we're noticing you could work on. Here are some cognitive abilities that we noticed you could work on. Try X, Y, and Z today to get better at that. So it's almost like it's a brain coach that helps you gain the skills that you want for uh, the given experience that you're entering into. So, and maybe this is oversimplifying it, but really it's a tool to improve self-awareness um, so that you can understand your personal situation. You can understand what's needed. Um, and I think some people are good at that and some people are terrible at that. Um, so giving that tool to people to help them, um, I think is absolutely crucial. Yeah, it helps, it helps them see it and then also helps you do something about it. I think one of the differentiators between us and a lot of wearables out there is they provide data and analytics 
Um, but a lot of times it's up to the user to do something about it. Yes. And that makes sense. I think that's powerful. And, and we do that too. But I think something that kind of sets us apart is the core offering is a training intervention to teach you these skills so that you can improve your focus and your calm. Um, and I think it's about skill building and self-awareness. So understanding what's happening. So measuring what's happening, giving people insights, and then also giving people tools and techniques so that they can make those changes. And all that happens within the app. You know, we, we um, are a little bit open to, or not a little bit open, we are open to people experimenting and maybe using their own meditations, right? So if you already have a toolbox, you can test out that toolbox and see what's working. But we also are a provider of, of tools and techniques for people who want to, to get into that space. That's really cool. I see so many parallels here between um, a topic that Michael and I probably spend far much far too much time talking about. But uh, for cycling, uh, aerodynamic sensors are um, they're becoming more popular. But the problem there is that it takes an engineer often to interpret and understand the data. Um, and what's lacking in that industry is the ability to readily process it and factor in all the other variables. Uh, and what I see your platform doing is preventing that specialist or not requiring that specialist knowledge in order to do something with it. Because if you gave the the raw intensities of all the different brainwave frequency ranges, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> so, and I'm sure most people wouldn't know. And yeah, you could you could provide a little bit of feedback with that where you could say, oh, if you want to decrease this, uh, this intensity, you know, change this. But then it's still a very convoluted uh, solution that you'd have to come up with. But I think just simplifying it down to a single metric, if you've got your, your score that you're trying to chase, um, that really, that makes it usable. That makes it actionable for people, which I think is what a lot of other, um, very clever sensors, but maybe not as advanced platforms. Uh, that's what they're lacking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. There's, there's no, there's no shortage of that kind of, uh, yeah, the, Whenever we we explore new technology on the show, we sort of ask you know uh, two very big questions. The first is, does it work? You know, does it do what it says it's going to do? And in and in, in the context of of your tech, Max, I I do not have the kind of the background or the understanding to to make that determination. Like if you give me a bike power meter, I have a pretty good way of figuring out whether or not this thing is going to is reading the right kind of numbers because I have four other bike power meters that I can compare it against. Uh, same thing with aero sensors, but uh, in this case I can't I can't evaluate that even if well, you know, uh, and we I know we talked about offline me getting one of these headbands and I'm really keen on trying it. So then I have to kind of take it on faith that it, you know, the numbers that it's giving me are are the they reflect reality, let's say. Uh, and then the other big question when Andrew was just getting at is, so what? You know, there's a lot of technology out there that gives you really interesting data. And it's probably very accurate data, but what do you do with it? We don't know. And so, yeah, I, I echo what he said about um, it, it being tremendously useful for the user experience to then be guided and, and helped along the, the journey of understanding what to do with that, uh, with that information. Yeah, we, we set out to make the most user-friendly brain training platform in the world, and we've succeeded. When you open up the app, it feels familiar and you can get all the benefits we've been talking about with zero experience in neuroscience. And that's how we, we designed it for that on purpose so that anyone, any consumer, someone has a stressful job, someone is um, you know, an amateur athlete, 
or you're an Olympic athlete with a whole coaching staff around you, or you're an F1 driver with millions of dollars in resources, and the product works the same way for, for everyone. Um, that was really important to us. So when you pick up the product and you start using it to one of the points that you guys are making, you can very quickly feel that this is lining up with your subjective experience and you can, you can validate the measure for yourself. When you do these meditations, when you do these games, you can feel your internal state and be reflected on the screen. And I think that's, that's the magic moment. That's one of the first aha moments that people have as they go, holy cow, this thing is working. This is like when I focus or relax, the score is responding in real time. Um, and that creates a lot of buy-in immediately. And then people get into the exploration of the different trainings and the different experiments they can do and the data, et cetera. Um, but yeah, we've designed it to be as user-friendly as possible. So knowing what the potential benefits could be for improving overall well-being, um, focus, things like that. Have you had any companies specifically reach out to you? Because I know there's certain companies who are playing around, especially in the COVID environment where people are feeling stressed and isolated. Um, so for example, uh, I forget the app name, but it was a, it was like a meditation training app that uh, certain companies would basically pay for your subscription for. Have you had any companies reach out to you looking for that kind of collaboration where you can help their employees yeah. improve their overall mental wellness. Yeah, certainly. So one of our targets is corporate wellness. Uh, another one is um, different types of sports applications. So we work with teams in the MLB, uh, NFL, NBA, NHL, um, other leagues. Uh, we have some people in on the U.S. Olympic teams using it. Actually, right now in Beijing, the – USA bobsled team, uh, go USA bobsled. They're one of our, our, uh, big proponents and users of focus calm, um, different elite level tennis stars, formula one teams, like I was talking about. Uh, so yeah, from sports teams to corporate wellness, um, certainly in the university space as well, both for mm -hmm. sports and for student wellness. Uh, there are these applications. I think that our, our approach is, or what, what we believe to be true is that sports teams get this, especially at the, the higher levels. They understand that your mindset is what's going to separate first place from second place. Right. And they are already working on this, which is why I think we've had some great success there. And I think that COVID has brought some awareness to mental health. I think we've seen actually in the sports space, certain athletes be talking about mental health more. And I think with uh, the popularity of meditation and even the popularity of things like Peloton and Tonal and Hydro, these connected fitness products, yeah. this is like a connected fitness product for your brain, right? We're quantifying stuff, we're measuring stuff, we're giving suggested classes and tools and techniques. I think all of these trends are converging um, to make this a, a really popular offering. And I think in the in the corporate wellness space, we'll see more and more opportunities for for people to try these types of products. I think this is one of those things that kind of came along at the right time, uh, where a lot of people were struggling mentally just because of the, the COVID situation. Uh, there has been a lot more discussion and people are more open talking about mental health and there's a lot more awareness that, that there needs to be treatments. So um, yeah, it's, it's very much 
a confluence of a bunch of different factors, but it's uh, I, I believe it's something that's kind of coming around at the right time and, and being supported by the current conversations that people are having. Yeah, it's it's my dream for people to to live a life of more flow and well-being and be in tune with themselves. And this is a way to get there. And I think it aligns really well with our current culture, which loves numbers and data. (laughs) You know, God bless us. Uh, But it's a it's a it's a way into introducing these tools and techniques to people's lives that have a real important impact and a lasting impact. When you learn these skills, they stay with you. It's like learning to ride a bike. If you don't ride a bike for five years, you're still going to remember how to ride the freaking bike. If you learn how to relax and calm your mind, even if you don't practice every day, it's certainly good to practice every day. But even if you don't, you're going to remember these skills. And so it's our mission to empower the world with a platform that gets that done. That sounds great. Um, and I think it ticks so many boxes right now. I'm I'm actually, to be perfectly honest, a little bit overwhelmed with the with the potential things that are swirling around in my mind of like how I, I kind of want to I want to play around with this device. And obviously in the training context, because that's where my my nerd more or less focuses. But in uh, yeah, the day to day stuff like the the stress management and, you know, be using it in, as is almost like a cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy tool, you know, in, in improving improving outcomes that there. And, we, and this is something I know nothing about, so I'm gonna, you know, stay stay in the box here. But uh, uh, it's it's super super exciting, and I, I can't wait to try it. So Max, if uh, you know, if uh, listeners feel similarly to me, and they want to uh, they want to check it out, they want to learn more, they want to buy a headband and get get an app subscription. How do they do that? They go to www.focuscom.com. Yeah, all the information about the science about the product. Uh, some good use case studies of different sports teams or athletes that have been using it, uh, different coaches that are using it with their clients. So we have a whole team portal that's designed to allow coaches to use this with their teams uh, and aggregate useful data for, for better coaching outcomes. Uh, a lot of really exciting stuff. Um, you know, we have people using this for themselves. Interestingly, kids are really good at this. I, <laughs> I think believe it. They're so they, pliable. <laughs> yeah, and I think they have less like social programming that gets in the way of their <laughs> their their goal. So when they put the headband on, if it's if it's kids as young as six years old, if that's of interest to anyone, um, I have a six year old. Uh, he he loves video games. I'm sure he would he'd love doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to to teach kids you know these skills. Um, but yeah, what what we're really after is is a easy to use way to get the job done of learning the skill of focus and calm in a fun and engaging way. So yeah, I do encourage people uh, to check out our website or follow us on, on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook. Um, And we're, we're a really friendly bunch. So if people have questions or want to get in contact, um, we always love chatting with, with people in the, in the space. And I would imagine you're a very calm bunch as well. (laughs) <laughs> we can we can be let me let, there's another podcast here about scaling a startup in this space <laughs> that uh provides its own challenges um I, I think we're lucky i think we're lucky that we have this product for ourselves uh while while we're on this journey you're getting high on your own supplier 
it's uh, necessary. It's necessary. Yeah. I love it. It's such a it's such a good fit. Um, Max, thank you so much for for taking the time, and uh, I can't I can't wait to to give this thing a rip. And uh, I will. You may regret offering uh, to answer my questions because I'm. We've had we've had folks on before who've had interesting interesting tech, and then like I would. Uh, well, I'm not gonna say harass, but I would follow up. Let's say with uh, with questions and and my own thoughts about this stuff. So I uh, you partner with them. Yeah. There you go. That's a much better way of, of, yeah. of saying it. So, uh, yeah, like I said, yeah. I'm super keen. And listeners, Focuscom has kindly offered a $25 off discount code, uh, which will be in your show notes. Uh, and this applies to the purchase of a headband. So uh, that's extra incentive for you to actually go out and give this a try. Uh, and with that, I say thank you very much for spending a little bit of time with us. And uh, thank you to Max of Focuscom for sharing this uh, really, you know, fascinating product. Uh, if you like the show, as always, tell a friend, tell them what you learned. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes uh, and a review even goes further. And uh, also consider supporting us on Patreon. And that's at patreon.com slash endurance innovation. Thanks, everyone. Actually, I find personally, and I think this applies to other people, like when I'm doing really hard work, there is a level of anxiety that creeps in when you're when you're like really mm-hmm. suffering and it's and it's getting hard. Oh, that's that, interesting. That, yeah. That causes me to stop. Like for me, it's just like, oh, this is there's still so much more to go in this interval. There's no way I can finish it. That kind of the negative yeah. self-talk. And it's it, it yes. to me, it feels very much like anxiety. Uh, and so yeah. being able to cope with anxiety better, I think I'm so curious yeah. to see if I could power through those intervals better. Uh, after you'll practicing. be able to expand you'll be able to expand your capacity to deal with those things and look at them in a, a less personal way and kind of let them float by a little bit better so That's one hope. important question is how sweat resistant is the headband <laughs> sweat, in, sweat increases the connectivity between the electrical signals oh, and the sensor so sweat is okay all right i'll have good yeah. conductivity then <laughs>